You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now, but um, as a church, uh, we were burdened to read through Scripture together this year. And so if you didn't get one of these, we had them. Uh, they're at the doors on your way out the door. Um, but it's, a, it's just a bookmark. We are, as a church, reading through the New Testament together this year. And so if you want to be a part, I do want to encourage that. It's five chapters a week. So it's not a massive amount of reading. Uh, this past week, week two, we got up to chapter 10 of Matthew. But we are reading through the New Testament together um, as a church body, listening for God to speak to us through his word. Um, and starting the year, we're going through the gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings. Um, not exhaustively, but kind of hitting some highlights. And so if you brought your copy of uh, the scriptures, I want to go ahead and encourage you to turn there. We're going we're gonna to be in Matthew 7 in just a little bit. Um, but I saw this story last week or a week ago, a couple weeks ago. Uh, this man in Arkansas was walking through a state park and he picked up something that he immediately just thought was a piece of glass, turned out to be a 4.87 carat diamond. For real, I was like, what? Um, and so he, he picked it up and it wasn't until he got home later that he realized that it was an actual diamond. Now, it wasn't as surprising because the state park he was at was called Crater of the Diamonds. Uh, you're like, oh, that's kind of fitting. So. Apparently in Arkansas, you can go to the state park, pay like 12 bucks and go and dig in the dirt and find diamonds and whatever you find, you get to keep. Now, immediately you're going to go home and be like, how far is Arkansas? Can we go? Um, I secretly want to go. If anyone wants to take a road trip, let's do it. Um, but it makes a whole lot more sense knowing that where he was, they've, they've, they've discovered like thousands and thousands of carats of diamonds, maybe hundreds of carats of diamonds uh, at this state park. Um, and you're, well, it's open to the public. You can go do this. But it's, it's a lot more understandable knowing that he found it there. Why do I bring that up? Because as we read through the gospel of Matthew, there are these gems in these nuggets of truth and teaching that we are familiar with that Jesus taught, especially as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're like, that's in there? Well, yeah, it's in there because it's the greatest sermon ever told, ever preached. And so we, we started last week looking at the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, and how Jesus kind of declares this, the, the character of the kingdom before he talks about the conduct of the kingdom. He first talks about the character of those who are part of his kingdom. And so he establishes that uh, we keep going through Matthew chapter six, and Jesus starts talking about prayer. He talks actually a lot about prayer. He talks about, hey, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Hey, it's not an if, but he says when you pray. He talks about praying to be heard by God and not seen by man. He talks about the Lord's Prayer, gives us an example of how to pray. Uh, he talks about fasting, talks about, goes back again to, hey, uh, don't worry about what you need, but ask your father, pray, and you'll receive what you need. God takes care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. How much more will he take care of you? And Kind of evident in this first truth today is this foundation is that prayer isn't an option. Prayer is not an option. If, if we profess our faith in Jesus and the finished work of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, if, if, if the finished work of Christ is what marks our life, prayer is not an option. It's not like one of those like things that you can like, I don't really need to do that. If, 
God himself, Jesus, in the flesh, took time to get away from people to spend time with the Father and pray. If he secluded himself to a garden or to a mountaintop to spend time with his heavenly Father, how much more do you and I need to pray? It's not like an option for the spiritually elite or like when desperate measures or when your team's down and it's the fourth quarter, okay? That's not what prayer is. It's not this, this formula. It's, it's if, if God, if Emmanuel, God with us, tells us to pray, it's not bargaining with God. It's not like, God, you do this, I'll do that. I, I saw this joke years ago that was, you may have heard it before, but this man was walking down a railroad track and his foot got stuck uh, in between the, the railroad ties. And he turned and he heard and he saw a train starting to come his way. And so he he's, looks up to heaven and he begs God. He's like, God, if you, if you free my, my foot out of this, I'll stop drinking. And so he's still, he's struggling, he's struggling, nothing happens. Train's getting closer and closer. He prays again. He's like, God, if you get me out of this, I'll stop drinking and stop cussing. Like that's a two for one, right? He's, and still nothing, struggling, struggling. Finally, the train is about to hit him and he prays, God, if you get my foot out of this, I'll stop cussing, drinking, uh, and smoking. And then the train is about to hit him. All of a sudden his foot gets free. He rolls over, train misses him. He stands up, brushes himself off. He looks at heaven. He's like, God, never mind. I made it out. Some of you will get that later on today. But sometimes we think of prayer as this like negotiation with God. Of this like either it's a ritual that we do. We say the right things in the right order. And we push the right buttons. And God responds. But Jesus makes it clear it's not a ritual. It's not a, a, a religious thing. It's about a relationship. If anything, what Jesus modeled is the way to pray. Is a, it's, it's not about the words. It's about the posture that we're to take up. In fact, he, he tells us this. Uh, and we're going to look at three different tensions this morning uh, in regard to this. As we go through, there's, we, we recognize tension between how we feel and what truth is. We recognize the tension between what we want to do and what we ought to do. We, we recognize tensions, but as we read through this uh, in Matthew chapter 7, there's, there's tensions that arise to the surface that we have to do something with. And the first one we're going to see in Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 7 as Jesus again starts talking about prayer. He says this in verse 7, Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law of the prophets. And this brings up the first tension that we feel, this tension between self-sufficiency and God-dependency. Um, talks about prayer again, brings this whole thing up. It's this idea, why? what's interesting, I, I don't begin to try to, presume that I know everything and all the ways of God. But what we see is God says in his word that we are to ask, we're to seek him, we're to, this, this 
increasing intensity. It's this simple ask and we will receive, but, but what do we do when, when that doesn't seem to happen? Why, why would we be persistent in this? If God hears us, then why do we see this idea of continuing to ask, of being persistent in our prayers? Is it that God finally just gets fed up and is like, fine, be quiet? Or God gets frustrated? God, God does not get annoyed. God does not get at the end of himself that he finally just grants us. We, we, we understand this in human relationships even. Um, you, I grew up with dogs. We've always had dogs growing up. I love dogs. But when we had kids, I'm like, I mean, I love my children, but especially when they're younger, kids equal mess, right? Uh, and there's just, there's always stuff. And so I'm like, the idea of getting a dog on top of three kids was just a, a no, maybe later when they're older. Uh, but my wife kept asking. She kept talking about it. She kept sending me pictures of puppies that she would see online. Send me Instagram videos. She said, look at these children growing up with a puppy. Look how fortunate they are. Look how their souls rejoice at the companionship. Don't you remember when you were little and had a dog, had a puppy, the enjoyment, the fulfillment? And so I'm like, you're laying it on really thick. But she kept, she kept talking about it. Then she would send me pictures of these actual puppies that we could actually get. And I, I in a moment of weakness, I said, we can go look at them, Right? And, 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 and years ago, we went and looked, and there was a moment in which I realized what happened, and we took a picture of it. <laughs> I realized that I've been had. Because seeing my children with a, a litter of puppies, I'm like, we're getting one, not all. Uh, just rejoice. And then I see my kids love this dog. His name's Cooper. He looks nothing like that now because he's grown and he's hyper. He still thinks he's a puppy. And you get to the point where, like, you're taking pictures with him, like, as a family, that's when you know you're at a whole different level, uh, like Christmas pictures. Like, it's just, yeah, you say aw, but he's a terror. No, it's fine. Um, but, like, we, we understand this, like, persistency in human relationships. But God tells us to ask, to seek, to knock. And the door will be opened, that, that we're, we're to seek God. And it's this tension, though, for us is, is we are natural fixers at times. I, I am self-admitted that we see a problem, we want to fix it. And you know what? We pride ourselves on self-dependency. I, I don't have to rely on anyone else. We grow up in a Home Depot generation. You can do it. We can help, right? I can fix it. If something's broke, I can fix it. I need a YouTube video and four trips to Home Depot, and then I can do it. So we wrestle with this idea of being self-reliant, self-dependent, but yet God says, no, depend upon me, that I'm your provider, I am your protector. And so we, 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 we feel the tension. In fact, uh, St. Ignatius said, pray as if everything depends upon God and work as if everything depends upon you. So in this tension, when we pray, but yet we don't see results, when we, 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 we move some self-dependency, we, we, we ask God, but then immediately we don't see an answer, and then naturally we, we kind of pick it back up. So what do we do in this tension? What do we do in the midst of it when we pray and don't see results? How many times? When do we stop? Do we keep asking? Do we just keep asking every day? But he says, don't babble. Don't stand on the street corners like the hypocrites and just speak your words to be heard by men, but instead be heard by God. 
So where's the tension? Do we keep seeking? Do we ask, like, when do we give up? Um, and unfortunately, in the midst of the, the prayer before the answer, sometimes is when people walk away from the Lord. Is when we've put our trust, we put, we've, we've hung our hopes out there, but yet when we, it's not that God has disappointed us, that God hasn't done exactly what we thought when we thought. So really the only thing that hasn't happened is, is, is our own expectations. But what do we do in the midst of it? Because he tells us it's progressive. First we ask. Well, you never ask if you don't think anyone's listening. You'll never seek if you don't think there's something to be sought after and you don't knock unless you think that the door can open. You don't go knock on a wall, you knock on a door. Why? Because the door can open. So we ask God because God can do. He says to pray continually, honestly, humbly, we pray until something happens. Either our circumstances change or our heart changes. We pray, we seek him because it's not about a ritual. It's not about empty words. It's about a relationship. More than just asking God for, for him to move, for him to work, to heal, to provide, God is wanting us to see him. He is the source of everything. Um, and Jesus... Um, he uses this familiar Jewish style of presenting an argument um, in this. And basically, if, if the lesser is true, how much more the greater? And so he uses this style of argument to say, hey, if you who are evil people, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your kids, like if your kid asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone, how much more your perfect father in heaven will give you exactly what you need? Now, it's Remember, a father doesn't just give their kids what they want. They give their kids what they need. He's saying, hey, your, your heavenly father is perfect and gives you exactly what you need. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the prince of preachers in the 1800s, said, and any uneducated man can knock, if that is all, which is required of him. A man can knock, though he may be no philosopher. A dumb man can knock. That's encouraging for me, Right? A blind man can knock. With palsied hand, a man can knock. The way to open heaven's gate is wonderfully simplified to those who are lowly enough to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance, to ask, seek, and knock believingly. God has not provided a salvation which can only be understood by learned men. It is intended for the ignorant, the short-witted, and the dying, as well as for others. And hence, it must be as plain as knocking at a door. Saying, hey, do, do we see that God is unchanging, that God is unmovable, that God is consistent in his character? And we are to ask, to seek, to knock, that God delights in working and moving in our lives. He delights in our relationship. So the challenge for us with this first tension, challenge for me even personally, is where in our lives, where in my life, have I trusted in self-reliance instead of actually trusting in God dependence? Where do I continue to take things, matters into my own hands to try to work, to try to move, to try to provide, instead of actually surrendering it to God and not picking it back up? Because that's the tension. Jesus says, hey, continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock, and it will be given to you. The second tension that we see, we'll see in a second, actually. Let's go back to verse 12. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. We recognize that, right? It's a golden rule. You've heard it in school. You've heard it all over the place. For this sums up the law of the prophets. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road 
that leads to destruction, and many may enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The second tension is the way of the culture versus the way of the kingdom. The way of the culture versus the way of the kingdom. We, we see this continually throughout Jesus' teachings throughout Scripture that there's this like, metaphor of two paths, of two different ways to go. That there's a, there's a, there's a path to life, there's a path to death. And we typically think, when I even think about this and read it, I, we naturally think about the, the tension that we feel as followers of Jesus about being in the world, but not being of it. Of like, hey, we're, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to live in this world, but we don't look like the world. We're called to look differently. We, we recognize that tension, right? It would be easy to just be isolated out in the desert, just us and God and nothing else and no, no outside influences. But he doesn't call us to live in isolation. He calls us to live where we're planted. And so with that, there's this natural tension that comes up. But what Jesus is actually talking about, um, he's actually addressing this idea of outward-looking righteousness, but inward emptiness. He's saying, hey, that the, the Pharisees, they, they check the boxes. Like, they look like they're praying because they're doing it in front of everyone. They tell you when they're fasting. It's all of this, this outward appearance, but what he's saying is, like, it's the heart transformation that actually matters. It's what's on the inside it's not just the kingdom versus the culture, but it's the kingdom versus the religious culture. Now, the golden rule was not anything new. This was actually very, Jesus wasn't the first one to, to, to talk about it. It was actually very well-known um, teaching throughout scripture. Um, they would, the, the rabbis would, would teach us, but he was the first one to actually use it in a positive way. It's kind of like uh, if you've ever told your kids, like, hey, if you don't want to be punched in the face, like, don't punch somebody else in the face. Like, you're you ever had to say that? Like, hey, you don't want to be bit, don't bite your sister, you know? Like those kind of things. It was often taught in the negative connotation. Hey, don't do something to somebody else that you don't want done to you. But Jesus completely flips it. He says, no, do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. And so he shifts this into a positive light. There's this broad road that's filled with religious practices, but he's narrowing it down to the, the heart of the matter. Through, through uh, chapter six, he keeps going. He says, hey, he uses this analogy. He says, hey, you've heard it said several times. He's like, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. They're like, check. I mean, not check. I haven't done that one. So uncheck, right? Right? They're like, oh, that's great. I haven't done that one. And Jesus said, yeah, but I tell you, don't even have hatred in your heart for your brother. What, what, the, the, it was a broad road. Like, oh, don't murder. That's an easy one, right? Most of us haven't done that, okay? But then he says, no, 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 don't even have hatred for your brother. That's the heart of the matter. He says, hey, don't, don't commit adultery. They're like, check. I mean, uncheck. You know what I'm saying. I haven't done that one. But Jesus says, don't even, don't even look at a person lustfully. He, he takes all of these teachings. He says, hey, you, you've heard it said an eye for an eye. But I tell you, if somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. Hey, if somebody sues you for your, for, your, for your shirt, give them their coat also. If someone asks you to go one mile back, go two with them. He's, he's condensing down this road saying it's not just about the outward actions, it's about the inward transformation, your actual heart of what you're doing. He narrows down the road. Seemingly almost impossible. 
but Jesus is the one that we follow. He says, you've heard it said, hey, love your neighbors and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Pastor Tony Evans said that there is a wide gate and a broad road that many people follow, seeking to have a relationship with God, and it's called religion. Religion is man's attempt to make himself acceptable to a holy God. But the narrow gate that leads to life is Jesus. He makes us acceptable. And few find this road because few are willing to accept God's ways to obtain eternal life. Jesus tells us, we, we see it in John's gospel, that Jesus says that I am the gate. That Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. That the pathway is him, the pathway is through him. It's not about this outward, wide, narrow road, or wide road, but it's about walking with Jesus, a life that's gonna have hardships, it's gonna have persecution. But I say, that's the way to life. It's not trying to appear like you've got it all figured out. It's about following. We see this in Deuteronomy. He says, hey, there's, uh, now I am uh, commanding you today. It's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. He's saying, I'm giving you the choice between death and life, between us, uh, adversity and prosperity. He's saying, there's, there's two paths before you. It's a self-indulgence or it's self-denial. It's forgiveness or it's retaliation. He's saying, there, there's two pathways. You can, you can the, the, the challenge of this is whether or not we're just trying to check boxes or whether or not there's things that we actually have to check our heart for. Whether or not we're just trying to play the part or whether or not there's actually transformation from the words of Jesus being lived out in your life and in my life. See, it's the, the narrow road. Let's keep going. Verse 24, this is where Jesus, he, he, he sums up, he closes the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 24, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, right? Think about it. He talks about prayer. He talks about the character of those in the kingdom. He talks about money. He talks about fasting. He talks about uh, loving your enemies. He talks about uh, our relationships with one another. He, he covers this massive basis of all of these things. So in the summation of this teaching of what it means to be a person of his kingdom, of what it means to, to trust him fully, he said, blessed are those, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. For everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So the third and final tension that we see is this idea of application versus apathy. He's saying, hey, in, in light of all of the things that I've just taught you, this isn't just about a, a better way of life, although it is. This isn't just about how to weather through life's absolute worst and most trying moments, although it also is. 
This is about at the core of what is really happening. It's about life and death. It's about purpose. It's about eternal reward. We see the comparison. We see two people, not distinguishable from one another. They both have houses, not distinguishable from one another. And they both encounter a storm, the same storm. The only visible or the only difference between the two is one built his house on rock and one built his house on sand. It's not that the one got lucky and just happened to pick a spot that, oh, there's rock here. But when you establish a home, when you build a home, you have to dig down to either put footings in the ground or dig down to something solid to rock. And he's saying, the ones who hear my teaching, not just memorize it, not just can quote it, not just can recite it or put it on a bumper sticker. He's saying the ones who actually put it into practice are like those who build their house on the foundation of a rock. Because storms come, that's a fact of life. He did the, the, the hard work of ensuring that his foundation was there. I don't know about you, but I, um, I love like looking at houses on Zillow, even though I have no intention to move. Anyone else? Like you're like, ooh, it's a $14 million house. Let's go look at it. Knowing that you can't ever afford even like one payment, right? But there's something like, oh, should we? Should we buy this one? Or maybe not, you know, this, this fictitious. But in scrolling through houses, like the things that catches your eye are like the, the, the bathroom with the, with the giant massive tub that could fit like 14 kids in it, you know? Or, or the greenhouse out back or the pool or the, it's too fancy for a patio, so it's a veranda, whatever that is, right? I've yet to see a picture of the footings from any of those houses. I've yet to see a picture on there like, hey, by the way, before we built it, here's the, the, the little hole in the red clay and here's the, you know, the, the concrete that we poured. Looks really rough. There, it's, it's not stuff that's on the surface. It's stuff that's below the surface. Foundational work is not flashy. Foundational work is not the stuff that you celebrate and you, you, you put on Instagram. The foundational work, though, is the stuff that actually gives you some grit and gives you something firm to stand on. He's saying the foundational work is not just appearing like you're spiritual. It's not just appearing like life is figuring out. He's like, no, if you actually read this when it says love your enemy and you love your enemy. It says, hey, you know what? You're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. That's not yours to do. You're called to forgive, and we actually do it. Hey, we're called to steward our money and our finances well. We actually follow God's instructions on that, and we do it. Hey, when you bless those that, that persecute you, he's saying, hey, when you actually do the things that I said, that's the foundational work that's gonna give your feet stability so that when life throws its worst at you, because the storms come, right? what, did, what did the builders do? They all heard the word. They all built a house. But one stood and one fell. Foundational work is like being in God's word. How can we follow the teachings of Jesus if we don't read the teachings of Jesus. Think about it. He's saying, hey, blessed are those that, that are, are, are the ones who, who hear my words and put them into practice. If we don't hear the words, we can't put them into practice. In, in 30 minutes, it'd be 32 at this point, 
minutes on a Sunday is not enough. That's why we're simple challenge. We're reading through God's word together. So for you, maybe foundational work is actually reading God's word this year. Maybe foundational work for you is, is, is being enrooted to 10 week discipleship program covers the basic. It's, it's, it's about the basics of following Jesus, about uh, cultivating rhythms in your life of spending time with God and, and spending time in God's word. Maybe for you, it's rooted. Maybe for you, it's forgiving someone that you've harbored bitterness for over a decade. Maybe for some of you, it's baptism. You profess your faith in Jesus, but you've never been baptized. And out of obedience, you're called to make that next step. Hey, one in two weeks, shameless plug. So what is your next step? What is the, the tension there? Because we can either build a life in which storms break against us or build a life where we hear it, we don't do it, and the storms break us. So in these three tensions, the challenge is where can we stop trusting in our own self-sufficiency and instead we actually pray in faith, believe that God hears us, believe that God moves, and shift to a God dependency? Where are the areas in which I'm checking boxes and on the outside it looks like I'm following, but on the inside I'm on the broad road of the heart checks that need to be done and what foundational work am I doing? Where, where is it, am I hearing it, but I'm just doing my own thing instead? We see the result of that. Some of the dumbest things that I've ever done in my life is when Matt was driving my life not when God was. And so my hope and prayer is that as we move into this year, that we would see God do a work in us, that we would see our, our feet go down solid onto the firm foundation of God's word, and that he would use us in ways that are greater than we could ever hope or imagine. Let me pray for us. King Jesus, we love you. We honor you. God, we thank you for your word that is clear, but it's also difficult. And we're grateful, Lord, that you have not called us to walk alone, but you walk with us. Lord, that you're not too busy for any request. Lord, you're not distant. Lord, you're not preoccupied. But God, your word says that when we need, when we are in need, that we ask, Lord if we need guidance, if we need encouragement, if we need provision, if we need healing, if we need protection, whatever the need is, that we have a good, perfect, heavenly Father in heaven who hears us and who acts. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we would be a people as much as we love the fact that we have people from every walk of life, from every different background or upbringing, and that we are unified around the person of Jesus. Lord, let us be a church that are doers of the words of Jesus. That we would carry out the call that you have on our lives. Giving you honor and glory for all that you do. For all that you are. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for today. It's in your mighty and holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Church, we love you. I hope you have an awesome week. As always, we'll have prayer team down here in just a second. We'd love to pray with you. I hope you have a good week. God bless you. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.